and welcome back to another episode of The Wife Who. Hi, Louise. Hi, Caroline. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm really excited to hear about this, this woman of yours. Well, this is a pretty special episode, isn't it? You know what we're it doing is. this one. She's very topical, isn't she, at the moment? Highly topical. So what's happened here is, of course, we are in the middle of coronavirus lockdown. It is all anybody is talking about. And there was an article on the BBC News website the other day. The woman who first identified the first coronavirus and of course as soon as i saw it i sent it straight to you didn't i <laughs> you did and yeah it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't it was the first person it was a woman it was the woman who identified it yes so she's a perfect uh candidate for this podcast at a time like this um so i said to you we should totally do a special episode on her what do you think and you agreed that this is a good idea yeah let's bring it yeah, so I did, um, I put up on, um, I think, Instagram, maybe Facebook, should we do this? And um, some people responded, but most notably, my lovely friend, Ada, who is Scottish, and she thought this was a great idea. And it's because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ada, but I imagine the reason you were like, yes, we should do this is because the woman, the person who first identified the first coronavirus was Scottish. <laughs> yes, I knew there was another reason why I love Scotland. Oh, you love the Scottish so much, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I have such a romantic notion of the Scots. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we are going to talk about an amazing Scottish woman uh, who was certainly one of the foremost Scottish scientists of her time and possibly all scientists of her time. Are you ready to get into it? Yeah, dive in. So we are talking about Dr. June Almeida. And I know it's not a very Scottish name, but we'll <laughs> come to that. <laughs> so she is, as I said, the wife who identified the first human coronavirus, but was largely forgotten until, of course, now, when everybody's talking about coronavirus. So she's starting to get a bit of uh, a bit of fame now, I think. Okay. So just to be clear, the current coronavirus, COVID-19, as we all know, is a new illness. Um, but it is caused by a coronavirus of the type that was first identified by this Dr. June Almeida in 1964. So it's like a family of viruses called coronaviruses like even the common cold is a coronavirus isn't it yeah i believe so and she certainly did a lot of work looking at the common colds um so we'll get into that so as i said she's scottish and she was born june i think dl heart so you know that scottish name that's d-a-l-z-i-e-l -E ada right in is it pronounced dl i think it is do you know <laughs> D.L. and Pasco, that's a thing. Do you remember that? No? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pronounced D.L. <laughs> okay, so she was born June D.L. Hart in 1930. And she grew up in a tenement in the northeast of Glasgow. And she was the daughter of a Scottish bus driver. So, you know, they were not a well-off family. She was humble beginnings. Definitely humble. I mean, I don't know Glasgow dreadfully well, but I get the impression that this tenement wasn't in the best area um, in 1930. So she grows up, she has a pretty, um, a fairly deprived beginning from what I can gather. But 
she leaves school at 16 with not much in the way of qualifications and gets a job as a lab tech using microscopes in royal the royal infirmary of glasgow glasgow royal infirmary um Uh so she's using microscopes she's looking at tissue cells and after she's done this for a little while she's experienced enough she can get a job in another hospital so she moves to london to work at st bart's hospital now she wanted to go to university but she couldn't afford it i guess you know back then you would have had to pay i think grants for universities didn't come in until the what early 60s something like that so she would have had to pay there's no way she could afford to go so she hasn't got a degree but she's working at a hospital doing things like biopsies and stuff using microscopes so it's a pretty good job it is she's done well for herself yeah i think so so she hasn't got a degree um but she gets promoted because she's recognized as having some real ability she's clever she knows what she's doing she works hard um and eventually as we'll come on to she becomes really a pioneer in virus imaging using what they call electron microscopes and um identification diagnosis all that sort of thing but anyway we'll come on to that so in 1954 so she'd be what 24 at this point she marries this guy called enrique almeida who is a venezuelan artist now i mean i really don't want to sound I mean, uh, you know what? I'm just going to do... It's a stereotype, I know. But this sounds fiery. He sounds like a hell of a catch. Can you imagine? She is from Glasgow in the 1930s. And in 1954, she meets a Venezuelan artist. You'd be like, Called yes. Enrique. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he sounds like interesting. It's got to... He must have really been just so different from her everyday life experience. You can like, see the he appeal. He doesn't sound like a pasty-faced northerner, doesn't he? Right. Like the yeah. rest of us are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they have a daughter who, by the way, is now a psychiatrist. Um, but anyway, the family moved to Canada where Almeida, uh, sorry, where June now goes to work at the Ontario Cancer Institute as an electron microscopist. I really struggle with that word. Electron microscopist? Microscopist? I don't know. Anyway, write in. Yeah. (laughs) I would just stop Um, there. (laughs) So she works with electron microscopes for about 10 years. Um, So apparently these electron microscopes is basically you get to see smaller stuff. So looking at viruses, virus cells, viruses are a lot smaller than like tissue cells that she would have been looking at in Glasgow. So you apparently use electron waves instead of light waves because electron waves are smaller. That is the end of my knowledge on this. Please don't ask me any questions. (laughs) But she is looking at really, really small stuff using these special kind of micro microwaves listen to me microscopes <laughs> my god okay in 1963 she is um she is one of i think three of them together co-publish an article in a journal that's just called science which i think is a big article uh, journal sorry. science is a very very famous journal oh is it oh well you see i'm not into that stuff so but you know so excellent yeah um and she helps, she co-authors this article where they identify virus-like particles in cancer patients' blood. And I think that's quite a big deal. And 
1964, she gets recognized for the good work that she's doing. And I think it's, it's all new, new technology and all this stuff. And she's really pioneering it. And she gets headhunted to come back to London, this time to work at St. Thomas's Hospital. Now, does St. Thomas's Hospital ring any bells? Uh, yeah. Given that it's where Boris got shipped off to... To recover from his coronavirus. That's right. So Boris Johnson, our PM, got taken to St. Thomas's Hospital and he was in the ICU there for a few days, as we know. And this is the exact same hospital where she was working when she does all this amazing work. So she, um, in the meantime, I mean, actually, I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but she divorces the Venezuelan artist in 1982. And three years later, she gets married again, this time to a virologist. So they've probably got a little bit more in common, to be okay. fair. Anyway. So he might not do the salsa or <laughs> any any Latin dancing, but he knows about viruses. Yeah. And they can talk over her important work together. And yeah, I'm yeah. sure this was Poor lovely. Enrique. I know. Bless him. Anyway, so... She is working on samples of loads of viruses, like you said earlier, the common cold. And apparently, this is quite fun, mouse hepatitis and bronchitis in chickens. And Who knew? Yeah, right? <laughs> bronchitis in chickens, really. Anyway, and she's looking at them through this electron microscope technique that she is pioneering. And she also produces the very first images ever of the rubella virus this way. Um, and she's making she makes a landmark discovery on the nature of hepatitis B using this technique. So she really is a first in lots of these areas. So she spots something new and strange and she recognizes this as being similar to flu under her microscope, but it's not exactly the same. And she submits this. She she writes a paper that she submits to a peer reviewed journal, but it gets rejected because the people who are, you know, reviewing the articles coming in for publication, they say that the images that she's produced are just, quote, bad pictures of the influenza virus particles. So she spotted the difference between the flu virus and this new kind of virus, but they didn't right. see it initially. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. She obviously was able to look at things slightly differently. Yeah, and she was looking, she was prepared, she had an open mind, she was prepared to see new and interesting different things, and everyone else is like, no, you know, what's this nonsense you're doing? That's the impression yeah. I kind of get. Okay, <laughs> so she's now working with a couple of guys, um, there's the guy in charge at St. Thomas and this other guy she's working with, and together the three of them identify and name a new type of virus, now called coronaviruses so she's working at st thomas's when they discover coronavirus corona and they name yeah. it they give it that name yeah yeah they do apparently it's what it looks like under yes. a microscope isn't it that it looks like a crown exactly it's like a halo with little knobs on it it's, it's a crown like appearance so corona yeah and that's why so she was one of the three of them who together named it coronavirus looking through her electron microscope technique so it was basically discovered at St. Thomas's. Yes. And that's where our prime minister got treated for it. That's mm. exactly true. It's interesting, isn't it? Lucky Boris was in the right place, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was. 
so and apparently this family includes the SARS virus, which uh, makes sense actually, but I hadn't really thought about it before now. Um, and also the Noro virus was another one that I came across, um, which there was quite a lot of worry about that at one point in hospitals a year or two back, yeah. wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so apparently about 20% of common colds are thought to be caused by this coronavirus that they discovered. So not all colds, but about yeah. a fifth. Um, and of course, she discovered the virus that is essentially the sort of the, the parent in that family because it's like an umbrella term, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so um, she published a World Health Organization manual, who, of course, they're getting a lot of airtime at the minute as well, aren't they? Uh-huh. She they published a, ma- a manual for them for rapid laboratory viral diagnosis back in 1979. Rapid laboratory diagnosis. Boom. That is exactly what we are using and need now, isn't it? That's exactly it where we need the to testing. be. testing. Yeah. So this is really important even now. So she goes on to the postgraduate medical school in London where her contributions to articles and all these journals and whatnot are finally recognized by her being awarded a doctorate in 1967. So she's actually, she's done all this work. She's already a pioneer. She's done all this publication and she bloody deserves a doctorate, but she never actually got a formal qualification through the usual route and as a doctor like that's quite interesting that she achieved all this in the field of medical science without even having an undergraduate degree it's amazing i think because you can get a doctorate can't you by writing journals yes and i think that's what happened yeah but it's much later you know she'd be sort of well into her career by this point so at this stage she finishes her career at the wellcome institute and that's a pretty famous place or it was at one time it still um, is now well i think it's closed I, well it's i don't think it's called the wellcome institute anymore i think it might be called something a bit different now um but it was 1968 to 1999 a london center for the study and teaching of medical history um and has or had presumably still has if it's just known as something else now um a world-class library collection so she was working there and she is named on a bunch of different patents in the field of imaging viruses and then she leaves the welcome institute and she becomes a yoga teacher (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) wait how old is she when she becomes a yoga teacher let's see i so i think she's late 40s Oh, wait, and maybe, yeah, maybe 50? I don't know. And what year is this? <laughs> I don't have a year exactly for her leaving Welcome and becoming the yoga teacher, but I do know that she was um, convinced to go back to the Welcome Institute as in a, like, I don't know, a consult, like an advisory role in the late 80s. So she was born in 1930. Then in the late 80s, she would have been in her late 50s. So it must have been well before that that she becomes the yoga teacher and that must have been when yoga wasn't exactly really well practiced 70s like yoga surely that's a thing i mean hippies love a bit of yoga right (laughs) but you know like now i mean everyone everyone is doing yoga and there's yoga videos everywhere and it's true uh you know there's classes everywhere i i bet it was still a little bit avant-garde to teach it in britain well though what am i i i maybe i don't know 
I don't know. Maybe we're a little too young. Write in, guys, and let us know. <laughs> Again, we're just showing our ignorance. Well, I but I feel like not knowing if yoga was cool in the 70s and 80s is okay. Like, <laughs> well, let someone else tell us. So, in the late 80s, when she's lured back to come and do a bit more of a job um, for Welcome Institute, she then helps to take new important pictures using this imaging technique of the HIV virus. So she's gone back to do this really important work again, and she produces at least one publication on HIV. So she's really, she's tackled all the big famous viruses, you know. She is such a smart lady. Yeah. So now, um, she, so she had worked at St. Thomas's with this guy called Hugh Pennington. He's now a professor in uh, Aberdeen University. And I think the only reason that she's getting talked about now in the news, certainly the BBC and the BBC article seems to have come from an article in the Scottish um, Herald paper. This doctor, uh, sorry, Professor Hugh Pennington says that he was mentored by her at St. Thomas. And he's come out and in this article in the Herald, is talking about her and how she did this amazing work. And I feel like I want to shout out Professor Pennington, thank you for giving her the credit. You know, he's got a CBE, he's done some really high profile work on things like there was a quite a famous E. coli outbreak in the 90s that had a big public inquiry. He did all that. But he's the one that's standing up and saying, you know, let's not forget Dr. Almeida. So he says about her she was unconventional but brilliant and he says that we'd be a lot slower dealing with the current outbreak of this coronavirus COVID-19 if it wasn't for her and her pioneering work work yeah so good for him and he says without doubt she is one of the outstanding Scottish scientists of her generation but sadly largely forgotten though ironically this COVID-19 outbreak has shone a light again on her work. Her work is now helping in the fight against COVID-19 for instance the Chinese used her technology to identify it. You know I feel like after all this is over they, they need to put a statue in Glasgow Oh uh, I would love that Oh, let's write to someone, who can we write to? <laughs> Glasgow City Council Dear Glasgow City Council Please erect a statue to Corona Queen Yes I I would love that Oh yeah let's try and make that happen Let's start a uh, I don't know what do you call it A campaign Yes yes let's do a (laughs) petition Everything So to finish off Dr Almeida's story She eventually dies at the age of 77 in 2007. So she's only been gone for 13 years. She died of a heart attack. So I guess not an uncommon story. And go on. I was going to say, it's such a shame that she she never lived to see uh, this pandemic. Is it? <laughs> I don't know if... Would this, she have, like, international pandemic. she would have enjoyed it? And how important her work has become. Well, yeah, I guess just how much her work has come to matter, I guess. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. How applicable all of her research has become. Like, she, she you know, uh, sometimes a lot of work can be theoretical, can't it? Yes. Um, but it's so relevant and applicable. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that someone is standing up for her, though, this um, Professor Pennington and, and getting her name out there. So, yeah, well done, Penno. Yeah. 
But, but don't you think it's kind of interesting that if it wasn't for this guy shining a light on her and asking that we credit her, she would have probably not got the credit. She, I know. I don't know. It's interesting. But actually, I'd like to quote a little bit more from his quote from this Herald newspaper article about her because I quite liked what he had to say about her. So he says... Her story is remarkable. She left school with hardly any qualifications at 16. She was feisty without being domineering. And I got to say, that is really hard to achieve, right? <laughs> feisty yeah, without, without being domineering. I love that. Um, and had very strong views on science. Firm views, strongly held. I never thought being a woman held her back. She was not discriminated against in biology. She made her own way and responded vigorously to any criticism. She was usually right. I thought that was interesting as well. So he didn't think that being a woman held her back, which is so great to hear, isn't it? That's not the story yeah. that we usually cover on podcasts like this one, is it? So that's nice. And then he says, her first paper on coronavirus was turned down. It was not well received because it was based on electromicroscopy. Mm, that word, Louise, electromicroscopic <sighs> pictures. But eventually it was published. In fact, it was so good she was headhunted to come back to the UK. And what she was good at doing the technology is applied today. She was a pioneer in that particularly. She also had a talent for picking the right topic to work on and not wasting time on things that could not be solved. June was unconventional for a scientist. In retirement, she became an antique dealer and a yoga teacher. She was a person of many talents. So she was an antique dealer as well. It's awesome. I love this woman. <laughs> yeah, good for her. I think she probably was quite happy. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know where I'm extrapolating that from, but I just get this nice feeling about her, don't you? Yeah, it sounds like she was able to go out and do what she wanted. Like she was able to yeah. work in what field she wanted and... She wasn't restricted. Yeah, I love that. So to finish, I would just like to draw out a couple of the comments. If anyone out there listens to or has watched any of, sorry, any of the Dave Gorman TV shows, do you watch them, Lou? Thanks to you. Oh, yeah, that's right. We've watched them together, actually, haven't we? You took we? me to um, see Dave, Gorm Dave Gorman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I almost forgot. I took you to see him yeah. at the Theatre Royal, didn't I? Yeah. So on his um, more recent TV show, it's not that recent, a couple of years old now, um, Modern Life is Goodish, he does this thing called a found poem. Have you ever seen any of those? Please tell me you've done a found poem. Well, not quite, but it's sort of comparable. I, I totally should have bloody done a, a found poem, but he looks, he loves to trawl through the weird comments on articles about current affairs and look at the comments and extrapolate the random stuff. Often and make from it Daily Mail readers. Yeah, <laughs> which I just love. And that really came to my mind when I was reading this article and there were a handful of comments at the end of it, but they're really good. So I'm going to be, so I just want to thank Jenny Hutchison, who on the 9th of March at 10.22 a.m. wrote at the bottom of the Scottish Herald article to the, uh, so this is directed at the person who wrote the article. Uh-huh. I think you'll find it's Dr. Almeida, not Mrs. If it is the latter, then it should also be Mr. Hugh Pennington and Mr. A.P. Waterson. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that. So the original quote from the Herald article was, I quote, Professor Hugh Pennington, Emeritus Professor of Bacteriology at Aberdeen University and one of the country's leading microbiologists, 
said Mrs. Almeida became his mentor. <gasps> and neglected to use doctor. Yeah, and it's Oof. like he gets all of these titles. He's a professor of bacteriology and where he works and he's the country's leading microbiologist, Mrs. Almeida. So thank you, Jenny Hutchison, for pointing that out. I well really done, enjoyed Jenny. that. Yeah. And then the second one was from someone called Victor Hodgson, 8th of March, 1056 AM. Let's not forget the modern day heroine, Dunfermline-born Dr. Kate Broderick, who's leading her team in San Diego, the quest to find an antidote to coronavirus and hopes by early summer, a eh, this summer, to have perfected one. Now, Victor, I love it. Thank you for drawing to our attention a modern day heroine in science, also from Scotland. But when you say the antidote to coronavirus... I suspect you mean a vaccine. <laughs> I, I don't think there's an antidote. I mean, I could be wrong. That maybe there's some medicine that is just going to totally cure you as soon as you drink me. <laughs> I would love that. So if you're doing that, Dr. Broderick, if you're out there in San Diego and you are developing an antidote, please, God, like, we will send money, you know, whatever you need. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, Dr. Broderick. We are that all with you. That would be amazing. You. But if you can't find an antidote, if you can find a vaccine, then that would be a really yeah. good kind of substitute. Love that. Yes, please. <laughs> we'll take that. <laughs> so I did look into her a little bit and there was one um, article about her. So she said, so there was a sort of interview with her. Um, she's got a sister who's an NHS nurse treating coronavirus patients in Glasgow. God love her. Um, and she says they hope to have a million doses of a vaccine ready by December. And in this article, she expresses like delight at the UK having dedicated 544 million pounds towards funding a vaccine and we've also apparently pledged a further 210 million pounds and how she hopes that other countries will follow so thank you Dr Kate Broderick for that as well and of course I will post the links to all of these articles on our website and on any postings that I do and that is Dr. June Almeida with a bonus wife at the end, Dr. Kate Broderick. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that, I, felt, I feel like that was a really good bonus uh, episode there. Yeah, yeah. So we'll stick that out and hopefully that will be of some interest to everybody. And uh, on that note, I think we could probably sign off and go back to our uh, lockdown lives. What do you think, Lou? Yeah, I'm sure I've got an episode of Homeland to watch. <laughs> i love it um and if you enjoyed this special episode please do give us a like slash review slash comment whatever it is that you can do to somehow interact with us and let us know that you listened to the end of this episode and that you maybe enjoyed it i don't know um i would love to hear from you and i think you'd agree Lou. it'd be great to have some sort of contact from our listeners oh what do you we'd think? love some input Maybe maybe yeah. just don't troll us, but, you know, we'd love some input from you guys. <laughs> yeah, if you've got suggestions for other women that you would love us to cover, like, we'd definitely welcome that. If you've got stories from your own family history, maybe, um, of great women that did something interesting, we would love to hear from you. If, if you've got anything local, maybe you've got something northeast, um, yeah. we would love you know, that as well. These people don't have to be famous, and they don't have to have written no. a feminist manifesto. We... Well, <laughs> we just love stories about women as well. Like take Julie, who we covered on my episode uh, previously. Yeah. She just did some really crazy things. So, you know, yeah, we just want stories. Oh, 
I don't know, we might not have actually published Julie yet because I think we should try and rush out this coronavirus as a special. What do you think? We'll have to, oh, let's leave so Julie. That was a teaser. That's a teaser. That's a teaser. See if you can guess which yeah, Julie we're way. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, shall we do a, a fake clink? <laughs> and, yep. uh, and good night, my love. And sleep tight and don't let the coronavirus bite. No. <laughs> Stay locked in. Stay safe. Good night. Night.